Today we're doing another episode of the Ask the Coaches podcast. Today we have two that were submitted through email and then we also posted a question box on our Instagram a couple weeks ago asking you guys what some of your burning questions were for what you want the topics to be. So if you ever have any questions that you want answered, you could feel free to shoot over an email to us at info at runforprs.co because we do have a few more of these Ask the Coaches podcast planned for the rest of this spring and they are kind of fun to just answer your questions in a dialogue format like this. So today's questions are number one, trail running versus road running. What are the benefits of trail running? And we haven't really talked about trail running much on this podcast, so it'll be interesting to kind of go into that. Number two, um, this person is also talking about uh, weighted vests and the benefits of running in weighted vests, or are there any sort of risk factors? So the Murph workout, that's something that is usually done on Memorial Day, I believe. It's like a CrossFit workout done in memory of, um, I, I shouldn't even go in because I don't really know, but it's essentially, I think you run like one mile wearing a 20 pound weighted vest and you do some variation of like squats, push-ups, and um, pull-ups as well. Um, it's quite the intense workout. I've never done it myself, but they're just curious in terms of training for this because it's coming up in three months from now. Um, is it okay to run in a weighted vest? Then the next question is, this person had an eye injury. They took two weeks completely off of running. Should they just get straight into it again or should they ease back into things? So we'll go into deep detail on that. Then another person asked, I have been training at a BQ pace. How should I pace this marathon? I do want to take quite a bit of time to go into a deep dive on this question. Um, There's a couple of things that are important to address, such as making sure you're training at the right paces. So not just picking, um, picking a pace based on the goal, right? Like you have to train at the fitness that you're at. But also I really want to talk about how most marathons are actually measuring long. So 26.5 miles. And so like the BQ pace for a 3.30, let's say you're trying to run a 3.30, that's eight minute pace. If you're training at eight minute pace, that's not gonna get you a BQ because according to your Garmin, chances are, I mean more, I've never I've never run a marathon where it's 26.2 on the nuts, but mm-hmm. I, so if you're training at eight, that's not gonna probably get you the BQ. So we're gonna talk about how you calculate, like what is the actual pace that you would need to hit these various times. Not a great, um, thing to learn, but it is, it's better to learn it now than, you know, when you're half mile from the finish line and you're looking down at your watch, confused why you're not going to hit your goal. So, um, (laughs) then the fifth question we are going to talk about is how do I lower my heart rate while running? So I love this question. So how do I lower my heart rate while running? I wish I knew the answer to that, but I I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is What is the physiology here Um, when it comes to heart rate and running? It's not something you can just like will yourself to lower. There's a lot of factors that are involved in heart rate. So we'll go into making sure that you have an accurate measuring system, making sure that you're training at the appropriate paces because sometimes people will say, oh, but I slowed down quite a bit. In this case, this person is running 13 minute pace and it's still not working. Um, That's not really a lot of information because 13 minute pace, maybe that is it's quite the slowdown if you're like a 20 minute 5k athlete but if you're running like a 30 minute 5k that might be an appropriate slowdown pace like I'm not sure um and then we'll talk about how uh there's other things that impact your heart rate so it's not just as simple as 
oh, it's just the run. No, it's like what caffeine, what medications. There's so many things that go into heart rate. So we'll talk a little bit about that and see if any of those factors are potentially the thing that is causing the increase in heart rate. Um, so yeah, diving in trail running versus road running. How can trails be a benefit? fit this person is not interested in doing ultras but they just really like to run in the trails during their training block um, they run a lot on the trails and it's really forcing this person to go slower they feel like there's more muscle or ab engagement um, than on the road and they want to know is there any recommendations on how often to trail run there's a lot of really good trails where they live so that's awesome i'm really glad that there is trails in your area that you're able to utilize because a lot of areas there's just not a ton of trails that are nearby or that are easily utilized and trail running can be really beneficial because it is easier on the joints like you were saying it does kind of have a different muscle engagement that's going on especially the more technical trails you might really find that it's working your ankle stability mm -hmm. and it's going to be working muscles differently especially if there's significant downhill and uphill it's just really engaging a lot more muscles um, whereas if it's a very flat trail like there's a quote-unquote trail near our house that's really like an old railroad bed and it's gravel but I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a trail because it's very flat mm -hmm. um, it's not technical I'm not getting any of those benefits from it but there's a different trail like at a state park, Afton State Park for anyone that's near us. Very cool trail because very technical. There's rocks and you really do have to be more engaged running in the trails both mentally and physically than I think just like a traditional, you know, running bike path that has no cars. Yeah, you said some good things there about like just the stability of the joints and everything. And, and I think that... Um, you know, for starters, I think what running in the trails will do for us mentally is is really just have an appreciation for nature, right? And just right. being outside and exercising um, and doing something positive for our body. And so you're typically not going to be worried about your pace for a variety of reasons, right? The constant elevation changes, maybe the signal gets lost in the woods, that sort of thing. Mm. So you're really doing a good job of just kind of listening to your body and dialing into the effort, right? Like what effort do you want to exude on that day? Is it just kind of a zone one, easy effort? Are you trying to do just a slight maybe tempo pickup or whatever? And so, you know, we would go into the trails a lot in college because there was two sets of uh, two parks nearby and it was just good to get on that soft surface, good to get off the road. Um, and then work some of that those technical advantages. I know that applies better to like cross country running, but mm. um, I really I really enjoyed it, and I think that it could be good for runners if you've never experimented or explored the trails before, and you have access. Um, the appropriate amount would probably be starting out with one run a week. I wouldn't want to have you do more than that, just because you want to make sure that um, you know if you're also training with other stress variables, we're not overdoing it. And so. Um, yeah, trail running is great. I think that there's you can learn a lot from it, and if you're kind of getting stagnant with your road running, it could be a good thing to throw in throw in the mix. Definitely, I like how you mentioned that it can just being out in nature. And there's a lot of studies that have shown that being in nature, especially when like you're not on your devices or whatever, um, it actually like lowers your stress levels overall. So one of the best things you can do is really getting into an area, maybe you know, if you don't have any trails near you, maybe it's an area where you're just not seeing cars. One thing I've mm -hmm. noticed for myself as a runner is seeing cars in traffic. It's very like stressful. It makes my run feel very stressful. But when I'm away into a more secluded area, even like a bike path that I don't see any cars or in the trails, it's like you're really able to fully engage in nature and you're able to get that stress relieving sort of 
factor that maybe you're not going to be able to get if you're running on a busy highway, right? So it's very different in that regard. So great mentally. Also, I think it's more engaging, right? So you really have to be watching, like, am I tripping on a root? Am I going to, you know, fall down this, this wall of rocks, like down the downhill? And you really always have to be adapting your stride and gait and yes. speed and so it really helps you to stay engaged mentally which i think is great and also physically i think it's going to be utilizing more muscles if you're running on a treadmill or if you're running just like on a really flat outdoor run sometimes like certain parts of our body like i've gone to pt before for injuries and they're like it's really common for athletes to have glutes that quote unquote turn off when they're running and so they're not really engaged because they don't really necessarily need to be on a super flat Mm -hmm. repetitive road like that but if you're in the trail you're constantly getting this up and down and your glutes have to be engaged almost when you're going up a hill like that so i think it's really good for building strength muscle endurance all those things one thing that this person did mention is that they're running a lot slower and i think that's maybe one of the reasons why a lot of us quote unquote roadies which would be like a road runner um we stay out of the trails i don't really know a lot of road runners that regularly run in trails and i think a lot of that has to do with the um I don't know, is it like the unknown almost? So if I were to go on trails tomorrow, my pace, like I don't have a reference point for what pace I should be running. And it can almost feel really weird to be out there and seeing how slow you're going given the effort that you're exuding. So I could be doing an effort that feels like a threshold pace and I look down and I see I'm running slower than my easy pace. And so I think mentally that's really difficult because you don't, a lot of runners like don't trust themselves or maybe they're too caught up on their watch. They're too caught up in their head to really be immersed in that and to appreciate the trails for what they have to offer. I think so often roadies, as they call us, <laughs> they're so caught up in pace and oh, yeah. people will like avoid hilly routes. And But then you go to trail, it's like not only is it super hilly, it's harder. You're not getting like the same bounce factor because it's either mud or it's going to be like dirt that it you just don't don't have the same pop um you might have to be wearing trail shoes which are obviously slower than like alpha flies um you're gonna have to be watching out for roots there might be some parts where you have to walk up um i've done several trail races over the years and one of the most recent ones i think i did was afton 25k last year Um, A lot of people were walking up the steeper hills because when you get into those later miles, you're just going to be straight up exhausted if you're trying to run up those hills. It just really doesn't make sense. And the pace that I finished in, again, was like my easy run pace. I had no reference like, was this good? Was this bad? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard to not know like what it equates to on the road if you're like a roadie who's obsessed with PRs and times. It's just you almost have to really... Like, let go of that. And I think that trail running culture is so different, too. I remember the start of the Afton 25K last year. Um, the race director just got up and was like, hey, guys, like, not everyone has picked up their bib yet. So we're actually just, like, going to wait. We're just going to chill. Everyone's just going to chill mm-hmm. until we're going to move the race time back to, like, 830. And I was like, what? <laughs> You're just going to change the race start time? Right. And although that's, like, frustrating, especially for, like, a roadie like it's like you always start on time and he just like casually was just like no biggie like it's more chill i think than 
Um, like road races are very different. And, and also in this race, it was like, you had to bring your own cup. You had, it was, um, they didn't have water cups at the stops. So in a road race, for example, you go through those water stops, you're just like littering everywhere, throwing stuff. Like it's, it's, it's a mess. It's like not environmentally friendly, but I think a lot of the trail races that I've been involved in, Mm -hmm. they're like eco-friendly almost. So they're like, yeah, we don't have cups. Like you have to kind of self-support and everyone's really like thanking each other and it's it's a little bit different it's not as like cutthroat maybe I don't know how would you describe it <laughs> yeah I mean you everything you said was was spot on and if you've never experienced that maybe just sign up for a short distance trail run right. you know and a lot of times they have various distances so you can go and spectate the longer ones and the trail community is it is different and it is cool like you said like they're not so focused around the timing right like they don't have to shut the roads down and all that stuff so there's right. there's a lot more flexibility there but you know, when, if you're someone that's kind of experimenting with trails, you're just getting getting used to it or, or trying to do more of it rather, I think that, like you said, you said the engagement piece, and that's really the key. Like, you can shut off your brain when you're going on an easy run if it's flat, but when you're in the trail, mm-hmm. you really do have to be paying attention to the grounding and your footing, and you have to adjust that effort accordingly. So if you're trying to keep the pace easy, mm-hmm. you know, that is going to vary a ton based on... Um, turns elevation changes all of that even terrain that can vary i know there's some trails where there's like rocks in different spots where you have to like slow down and that sort of thing so uh, i think that that will translate well to back to the roads when you get back to the road a lot of times it feels easier to uh, be able to maintain your pace or your effort if you're used to having to do that while you have all these like Mm -hmm. sort of um, things flying at you right like oh i gotta adjust this i gotta adjust that like it's not as um big of a deal if you're on the road race and you just have one factor to fight through like let's say it's just windy or (laughs) or you're running in the rain like you've you've been through kind of um, more difficult things in the trails and so i think that it is a really really powerful um kind of resource if you have access you should you should try to utilize yeah definitely i think trail running is is great um i I think more people should utilize it but what i do think ends up happening is there's like that segregation between like roadies and trail people and Oftentimes I see like people who are kind of sick of the roads, quote unquote, maybe like they're done, like trying to run their fastest times. They just kind of don't care anymore. And that's when they end up in the trails. And so you don't really see a lot of people going from like trail running to like crushing it on the roads. You almost kind of see the opposite happening just because of the the way the culture is almost. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's a lot of people who are really fast trail runner, fast ultra runners and on the road, they also crush it. So definitely is a versatile skill and I think it definitely could help you um, on road races later. So the next question is getting ready for the Murph workout. Um, they have to do a one mile run with a weighted vest. Uh, what about wearing a weighted vest once or twice a week for runs? Is this too much on the joint? Is it a good way to increase strength? Um, so a 20 pound weighted vest that maybe doesn't sound like a lot to people, but that's a significant amount of weight. Um, so your body right now is used to you running at your current body weight. Um, that's the stress load it's used to. And typically when people gain weight, it's like slowly over time. So your body's able to adapt to that stress. But if you just go out and put on like that 10 pound weighted vest, um, that's, that's pretty extreme, especially if you're going to go out on like a regular run, I would say probably like ease into things, like see how your body responds to doing two to three minutes of running in it. Like, did it flare up? Um, maybe something in your foot or like how does your calf Achilles feet how does everything feel after you do like a three-minute run maybe the next week you can run for like five minutes in it that sort of thing but I would be very cautious of increasing the load too much too soon 
Um, Because you might be able to get away with it right away, but then you don't want to end up getting hurt. Because there's a lot of, um, my chiropractor said that the reason I got plantar fasciitis once was because I did too much too soon. And it was like I was coming back postpartum from pregnancy. And he was like, well, it could have been because you were at like a heavier weight. And yeah, your body was is used to running that much. But at the weight that you were at, it was maybe a little bit um, too much on the body. And so that's why I think sometimes people do get injured when they're coming back, even if they have um, like a really great solid base. It's like your body is at a different set point weight. And I see that often happening with people who take significant time off and then they try to get back into it. It is sometimes more challenging. But with that being said, if you're just going out and you're going to put on a 20-pound weighted vest, it's a completely different um, load on your joints. And so you want to ease into it slowly yeah and so you know i looked up what exactly the murph was because i was curious about the order of things so it is a one mile run to start you're doing all of this with the vest on so Mm -hmm. one mile run then 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 squats and then finish with a mile run so when you think about completing this um you know you have to think about what's your weakness first of all is it going to be for me it'd definitely be probably the pull-ups and uh, the squats and well really all of all three of the middle things because the amount of of push-ups and all that like that's just that's such a high number mm-hmm. um i feel like if you can get through that you'll be able to just kind of you can always slow down on the run well, right timed. if you have to it is time so you're so, trying to get your best time right. um but i would say start with running on fatigued legs first like if you so if you're going to train you know do a lot of the, the strength stuff first and then you can try to do your run after it just to see like what does it even feel like running after i'm totally shot from doing you know 150 squats that sort of thing um so there are ways you can vary up the workouts i think to challenge yourself with this sort of challenge um but you know you can experiment like you said with the vest for part of your run or whatever um but yeah definitely an interesting and kind of off <laughs> off challenge that we don't hear too much about so I'm, i'd be curious to hear an update from this person as they get closer to the event how it's going um and if you know if it's their first time doing it or second time how how the times would compare and that sort of thing so yeah definitely and so uh, I think, yes, you can increase the amount of time that you're running with the vest on over time because you, you obviously don't want to do it for the first time during this event, but you could use it once or twice a week and maybe the first time you're doing three minutes, then the next time five minutes, and then you could just do that for a couple of weeks, just get your body used to running at an easy pace. Um, as you get closer to April, May, you could maybe do something like a little bit faster with that on. Mm -hmm. So maybe you throw it on for like some strides. Like once we've done it for, you know, 20 minutes at a time or whatever, right? right? We do some strides with it on, see how your body feels while running at those faster speeds with it and then maybe you could even do like some workouts with it but slowly building it over time um and maybe map it out, right? So get a calendar out and let's say you want to run with it on like Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, just kind of setting goals for yourself for each week, like the duration and then like when you want to start workouts and just like have that plan mapped out. Don't don't go and veer from it too much. And I think you'll have some success because it just fits right in with what you're doing already. So next, the question was, I injury two weeks off of running. Can I just get straight into it? And I thought this was really interesting because Jason recently had LASIK. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about your answer to this question? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, you take two weeks off, you're not going to lose much fitness, right? So um, you don't need to be worried about that. You don't have to come back that first week and just like go back to a normal training week, right? You should kind of ease back in. Maybe, you know, maybe the volume's just a little bit less um, and there's no workouts that first week. And then the second week you can, um, 
you know, implement one workout instead of two, that sort of thing. That's how I would approach it. Um, but it depends on, I guess what you're taking time off. So for this case, the eye, it's not directly related to anything that's going to really be impacted by running, right? It's not like the same thing as, as a running related injury. So I think you can probably, uh, ramp it up a little bit sooner. Um, as opposed to if you were taking time off for something that's more running related, but, um, yeah, easing, easing back. So I would say, you, you know, with, with this particular thing, um, for me, I, I couldn't do any contact sports or, um, for, I think it was, I think it was two weeks. So I had to be very careful, but you know, can you wear your proper eyewear? Um, that would be the first thing. So you don't want an, you don't want an infection, right? So, um, just make sure that, you know, however you're going to start back, you start back and you progressively build and you take away the things that, um, you no longer need over time. So in this case, it's just probably wearing glasses or, um, you know, I'm not sure what else, but the, you know, when I think about other examples, like I had one person, they recently had to take two weeks off for like a sinus nasal, um, surgery. Mm -hmm. Right. And so kind of helps with like, uh, prevent sinus infection with seasonal allergies and so and such. So, um, she was told to take, you know, one complete week off from training. The second week she could do light activity and then she could resume running after two weeks. So, you know, we just sort of did some, um, uh, walking and some cardio the first week. And then that first week of running, it was more probably about 60%, 60 to 75% less than what she would normally do. So, um, and it was all easy running that first week. Next week, she was doing about 85 to 90% of her t total volume with a workout added. And then by week three, she was pretty much back to normal. Um, but depending on where you're at with your like training cycle and, you know, let's say you have an event on the calendar, this might require you to adjust a few things in terms of like, you know, workouts or long runs, that sort of thing. So that's where it can become a bit more tricky, but, um, having that schedule planned out in advance, I think will help you make sure that you're not going to come back too quickly. Yeah, definitely. And for some people, it's like you could probably maybe get away with just diving back in. But again, it's always going to be on that cautious side and, and not, uh, go too crazy but I know sometimes when it's an injury like this if it's like an eye injury and like it was so acute and it was like only one little spot and whatever and it doesn't affect like anything with your running you've been feeling 100% you almost are like feeling antsy and so it, mm -hmm. you know give yourself some grace whatever um it could vary right but anytime you do have an injury uh, even if it's not running related, I think it is good to ease back into things. Like I had a few, um, friends who've had like moles removed, right. On various parts of their bodies. And they were forced to take the two weeks off. Um, and there was like some stitches involved, but even when they did get the clear to have activity again, it's like they, they started with like two miles, three miles, four miles and slowly built back, even though they were at you know six eight mile runs um prior but it's good to just ease back into things for sure so then the next question is one that we might spend a little bit more time on because it is maybe like involved with math a little bit and it's very pace specific goal specific and i do want people to be equipped with this knowledge because it's something that can be kind of devastating if you maybe didn't know this before. So if you've been training at a BQ pace, how do you pace a marathon? So how do you figure out your BQ pace? Well, you need to know your age, your birthday, the, the Boston you're trying to qualify for, and what your qualifying time is. You can find all this information on the Boston website. It's pretty much the same for men and women until you reach the age of like 33, 34, depending on like when your birthday is, right? Um, you're going to be, if you're going to be 35 by the date of the Boston marathon or older, 
check the website because your times are going to be way different than what I'm going to say. So if you're a guy under 35, it's three hours or under. If you're a female under 35, it's 3.30 or under. So those paces for a three-hour marathon is 6.52 per mile. For a 3.30 marathon, it's eight per mile. So will that get you the BQ? Probably not. When you are running a race, everyone kind of knows that your Garmin, right? It's not going to measure exactly accurate. And I just want everyone to know that it's probably not going to measure 26.2 miles. In fact, it's very likely that it's going to measure 26.5 miles. Yeah. So everyone really just needs to be aware that your course is going to measure long according to your Garmin. First of all, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, Garmin is not entirely accurate. So the whole time going through your training, it could be a little bit off this whole time. It could be telling you you're faster than you actually are this whole time. Um, so it's, it's just always been off, right? That could be reason number one. Reason number two, it could be you're not running the tangents. And as someone that knows how to run the tangents, right, I've done several marathons, even if you run the tangents, it's still gonna come up. It's still gonna be 26 point whatever. Um, for other races like the Boston Marathon, Chicago Marathon, Philadelphia Marathon, it's probably gonna get a less GPS signal at some point. And that paired with the fact that the course might measure along anyways, and it's hard to run the tangents, you might end up with something like 26.6 miles. One time when I ran Boston, I said 26.7. It was just such a fluke. But at the end of the day, um, most marathons, even if you don't have the wonky downtown signal going everywhere, it's going to be 26.4 miles. So what does that mean? Um, let's kind of break it down, right? So a sub three hour marathon that's 652 per mile, even if you're running 650 per mile, still not going to be enough to break three. So what are we really going to want to run? Um, in this case, let's break down the 330, right? So if you want to qualify for Boston, you really want to hit like a 329.30. You don't want to be 329.59, right? Like you don't want to calculate it like that. You want to at least give yourself like 30 seconds, like get to the finish, right? Like it's, you don't want to be fighting for your life at the finish. So 329.30 gives you 30 extra seconds. Let's say it's 26.5 mile course. That's going to be a, an average pace of 754 per mile on your watch. So instead of training at eight minute pace, it's 754. A lot of people listening right now might be like, that's like basically the same. It's not, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's quite different. Right. Um, same with the sub three. So it's like a six second delta. So instead of training at the 652 pace, you're gonna be, you're gonna need to be running 646 pace, which is quite different than 652. Mm -hmm. um, although that's only gonna yield to be probably like two and a half minutes in the marathon, two and a half minutes in the marathon is quite the difference. And I know this maybe is the first time people are hearing it, but just letting it sink in and realizing that's kind of the reality here. So when it comes to pacing the marathon, that's the number one thing that I think we really need to understand is, okay, let's say my time goal is, for me, I was really chasing like sub three for a really long time. Um, and that was like, okay, I really need this, this time goal, whatever, you know, people really want to hit random time goals. I needed to understand that if I actually wanted the race clock to say sub three, well, my watch had to be reading seven seconds per mile faster than whatever, you know, it's gonna, it's, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. 
So instead of running right, right. 652 pace, to make up for I had to run 645 distance. pace yep. in my mind. So making that adjustment first is right. key because I didn't want to like go through all of training and think, oh, like, yeah, I'm in shape to run 652. I'm going to break three right. only to on race day run 652 pace and run 303 or whatever. Um, so I did, I ran a 301 marathon once and that was 650 per mile. So I was faster than 652 right. per mile, which would have, should have been. Yeah, I looked down distance. at my watch yep. when I saw the finish line and it, well, it was way off in the distance still. And I said 259 and it said 26.2. Right. And I was like, well, this is a virtual race. <laughs> you know, you could right. just stop the thing. And so right. anywho, I finished in 3019 or whatever. The next one I broke three, but it's really important to understand this so that you can create a proper pacing plan because the last thing you want to do is be like, okay, yeah, 330 marathon. Okay. Well, I'll just go out the first half and like 146 and the second half and 144. Well, if you're pacing that based on your watch, that's going to be different than what the right. course is saying. So you really want to make sure things are kind of in alignment there. And so I would go based off of the pace that you would need to see on your Garmin right. to hit your goal time. But with this all being said, you can't just go out and run and you can't just train your whole cycle according to like your goal pace. You really have to train at the fitness that you're at. You can't like force fitness. So um, like I recently ran a 254 marathon. If I decided, you know, tomorrow I'm like, okay, well I wanna run X time in the marathon. I can't, even though I would want to, I can't just go out and be like, okay, these are my paces because this is my goal. You have to do a fitness assessment, see where you're currently at. And that might mean doing a 5K race, doing a half marathon, and really getting an assessment of like, is this the fitness that I'm really in? Can I do my marathon pace workouts at this pace and have it truly still be marathon pace? And so we want to train for the fitness level that we're at. With that being said, if it starts to fall in alignment, so let's say all of the stars are pointing that 754 per mile actually is your marathon pace. Well, I think you're going to run 329. I think it's there. How do we pace it? Um, again, changing perceptions based on your watch, understanding that with each mile marker, it might not line up exactly with what your watch is saying. So you either are going to want to be 100% reliant on your watch and understand that your course is probably going to be 26.2 miles or 26.5 miles or you could do it the other route where you turn auto lap off and you hit lap at every mile right. marker. But that, I just, oh man, I couldn't do that. What do you recommend? Um, <laughs> that's a great question because, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's a right answer. You know, you could try one way and if you don't get the result you hope for, try it the, the other way the next time. But the biggest thing is when you start thinking about how to pace your marathon, know the course, right? So figure out first, like, where are the challenging parts of the course? Like, is it possible to negative split or are all the hills, like, later in the race, that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. um, you know, are you running down a mountain at Revel? Because that could affect your the way you approach the pacing as well. So know the course. Set your pacing plan up accordingly. So if you're saying that 646 is your average pace, you know, typically you'd start out about 15, 20 seconds per mile slower. Um, for the first like three miles. So you you go out right at like seven, just a hair over, and then you kind of work down from there. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think that what I've always done, I guess, when I've, when I've gone off the watches, I'll, I'll just observe like, okay, it beeps, and then I'll see how close I'm to the mile marker. And, um, you know, typically I'll just kind of buffer in a few extra minutes at the end for the course that's going to be off. That's kind of how I approach it. But 
Um, I do like the auto lap thing, how you could uh, approach it that way. Um, sometimes though, you know, I've done other races, you know, typically marathons are going to be fully certified. They're going to have the markers at the right spots, right? So you don't have to worry. But if you're doing a shorter race, sometimes they could be, they could be a little off, like where they actually put the mile markers. And so, so for those races, I'd say just go off your Garmin, but, um, that's a, that's a really good question. If you're doing a major like Chicago, mm -hmm. you could always, I would, if you're doing a major like that, where the, the Garmin might be off anyways, because of the satellites, I would just turn it off and do the manual lap. But then what happens if you forget to lap it once or twice, then you're kind of in, you have to do that math when you're running. So, um, I've always just used the Garmin as more of like a, like an observation point while I'm running and don't get too wrapped up. Cause knowing like some miles might be faster, some might be slower, really just trying to dial into the feeling. So what am I trying to feel like an average for this section of the race? That's really my advice for athletes. Like, okay, so for miles five to 10, I want to average this pace. What should that feel like? And that's sort of mm -hmm. what we practice in training, right? Um, you know, miles 10 through 15, we want to be at pace or whatever, slightly faster. So this is the feel of, of what that should feel like. Um, and I think focusing more on like your feeling and your effort dialing into those things and not worrying so much about the pace, because really it comes down to, are you going to even feel good enough to maintain this pace at mile 20? And that's what you need to be thinking about during the race. Definitely. And we have a whole podcast on like how you should feel each mile of the marathon. I think that's a really good podcast to listen to. Um, it's from the fall of 2021. And so instead of maybe going off of pace for every single mile, which you could do, I think it's better to like listen to your body. And if you train in the way where you're letting your body kind of set the pace for marathon pace work, I think that's the best way that you can really race a marathon too, is just trust your body. And that's the best you can do, right? Um, sometimes we, we have these goals where we're like, okay, if I just robotically hit all these paces at every single mile, I'm going to hit the goal. But sometimes it's just the race plays out a little bit differently. Um, and you'll often see like pros, they don't like stare at their watch all the time. They're really like in the moment in the race. And I think that's the best way that you can run a race. Right. So the last question was, how do I lower my heart rate while running? I tried to run really slow, like 13 minute pace, and it's still not working. So the first thing is to make sure that what you're measuring with is accurate. So we want to be using a chest strap heart rate monitor instead of a wrist heart rate monitor. So the wrist heart rate monitor is known to not be accurate. And unfortunately, that's the technology that's really common these days. Not a lot of people are using that chest strap. Chest strap is the best way to be accurate. With that being said, maybe you are using the chest strap and it's still a high heart rate. Well, we wanna make sure that we have your correct max heart rate and that you are actually knowing your correct zones. Cause some people have naturally higher max heart rates. Other people have a little bit lower and obviously um, genes, age, lots of things have a factor in that. And so making sure that you have the right heart rate zones. Um, even someone the exact same age as you might have completely different heart rate zones than you. So making sure we're testing our correct max and we know what our heart rate zone should be. Um, making sure we have that chest strap if this is the technology and the route that we're going. Um, another thing they said they tried running like 13 minute pace is still not working. For people who are new to the concept of easy running, they can find that it's actually really frustrating because they have to run so much slower than they're used to to get their body to have that lower heart rate. And so if this is the first time you're really trying to do the easy running, you might find that the first couple of times you do this, you are having to run like almost quote unquote ridiculously slow compared to what you're used to. And for some people, actually for most people, I would say um, most people in the world, but not most runners, I would say probably like 50% of runners in general might actually have their easy days be more of like a power walk 
situation. And that's more of like if you're just building mileage, building um, into running and you're maybe only running two to three days a week, well, those two to three days might be more of like your moderate harder days. And for some people physiologically, like they cannot run at a low heart rate because all running is hard for them. Does that make sense? So there's some people who are not um, really used to running, like their body's just not used to running every single day. So every time that they run, it's a hard effort day. There's no way around it. So what you can do best in that situation is build your aerobic base by doing walking, by doing cross training like the elliptical, like biking. That is getting your body used to doing aerobic work at a lower intensity. And eventually over time, you can convert those power walks into slow jogs and your body doesn't start freaking out and like raise your heart rate to 180, right? So it's just very, very slow over time. And so it might be really, really frustrating to have to go so slow or to maybe have to do run walks or power walks. Um, But don't let that kind of steer you away from the benefits that it could have later down the road with your running. Because it's not only going to make you faster in the long run, but it's actually going to allow you to run more mileage because I think that's the biggest barrier, right? You're not going to be able to run a lot of mileage without getting hurt. If you're constantly going at this like super high heart rate all the time, you're stressing your body out so much, it's going to be really hard. And you're going to look at people who are running, you know, like 50 miles a week and be like, that's impossible. I'd never be able to get there. But the way that those people have kind of built up to that is they started with, I mean, maybe they didn't start with walks, but if you ever look at like kids that are running around, right? Like you, for example, you started running in middle school. Well, you didn't really start running in middle school. You started running when you were a kid. You were running around. Like you were walking a lot, doing Mm -hmm. hockey. I mean, you were very, very active. And so sometimes people get this false perception out there that like some people are built to be runners, but the aerobic engine is built through so many different activities than running. And so some people naturally have this aerobic engine that they built as a child, as a little kid, just doing little kid activities. Because if you ever watch little kids, like we have a five and a um, two and a half year old, they're they're running around all the time. And maybe not necessarily like running, you know, 12 minute pace or anything, but they're kind of like jogging. They're just run up the stairs. All of those activities build your aerobic base. So it might be easier for people to enter the sport in middle school and high school and then sustain from there. Mm -hmm. But if you're an adult, you don't really have that same aerobic base anymore. It's been such a long time since you've been doing activities like running around, running up and down the right. stairs and stuff like that. So you might have to start with things like just walking, um, doing power walks and stuff like that. And eventually it does translate over and you can convert more into running. Yeah, really well said. I'd be curious to know, you know, how long this person has been running and, and what they consider their heart rate to be high because, you know, for some runners, an easy pace heart rate could be as high as 160 or whatever. And for others, it could be like 130. And, and so... I think, like you said, just it, the result isn't going to change drastically. It's going to be a long time before you maybe see just a slight change. Um, the other thing is if you focus more on like effort-based running, I think that that's really going to be the key. So focus on, okay, well, yeah, my heart was a little high, but it did really feel easy. And so really that's the goal because you may have less of a variability between like your heart rate on an easy run versus like a tempo run. Maybe the difference there is only 10, 15 beats per minute. And for other people, it could be 20 to 25. And so... Um, every person is just is built differently, right? And so we we shouldn't be just comparing our heart rates. I know a lot of times we put in like a rule of thumb on average is like under 155 would be like an average heart rate um, to keep it under for an easy run. But again, some people might be as high as 170. It just depends. Um, 
I think, uh, like you mentioned too in the in the intro about like the factors that can affect this, like caffeine, stress, sleep. Mm. Um, you know that that could too. The other thing is, you know, as you start your run, you could try implementing more of like a like a brisk walk um, to allow that heart rate to build slowly and see if that sort of you know uh, adds any or has any impact. But um, this is something that I wouldn't get too wrapped up in. I'd mm. focus more on like the effort and the paces, and then just like how you're feeling. And as long as you're doing you're feeling like the effort is pretty easy, that's that's really the key. Yeah, definitely. And some of those factors, it is important to look at, right? Like stress, caffeine, medication. Um, I know some people, it's like if you're taking medication, maybe if you have like ADHD, right, that type of medication, that's like a stimulant. Um, if you take that with like caffeine, it, it, it's going to increase your heart rate. So then if you're going on a run right after doing all that, heart rate's going to be high, right? So just thinking of all those factors, like are there any medications? Are you really stressed? Did you just have caffeine before? Those could be other reasons why your heart rate's high. Even if you're like, I don't get it. I'm barely breathing. Why is the same heart rate's 170? Also, it's something you could go in and get checked out. Um, I did have an athlete once who was like really freaked out because like her heart rate was always like 167, 180 on, on easy runs. And she was like, I just don't understand. Um, hmm. She had a chest strap and everything. She literally was freaking out. So she Went to see a cardiologist. He did like all these tests on her, and um, it ended up being completely fine. the The doctor was really interested because normally he um, he never really had athletes come in. It was typically right. people who did have cardiac issues, and he was basically like, "Yeah, you're just on the bell curve. You're like on the very extreme end. You have a very very high max heart rate. You're able to okay. push it. All the activity mm-hmm. in your heart rate looks really good. That sort of thing. But it just gave her that peace of mind that like, okay, everything is okay. And I think for some people, they maybe are falling in that camp. But the only way to right. really know is to have the test obviously done. So I hope this this was valuable. Really good questions. If you ever have any questions, feel free to in- email them at info at runforprs.co and we'd love to include them on our next episode of ask the coaches and if you're ever interested in a free seven-day trial with one of our coaches we do offer a free seven-day trial and we have a free phone consultation with your coach as well so if you're interested in that you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com thanks for tuning in